Hello there. How are you doing? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. Appreciate you being here. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen Cheltenham's website and B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media. Jason Briggs, Big Manchester United fan and his fine team there will uh, guide you in the right direction. Could be Bangalore's and equipment. Got a fine store in Montpellier in Cheltenham in the heart of the town. Beautiful place in the courtyard there. But above and beyond that, through Serene AV, can offer you a bespoke vision of, of what you can have in terms of home entertainment, not just anchored to Bang Olufsen's fine equipment too. So worth getting in touch with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham or just if you're local, strolling down there, seeing what they have to offer and, and do ask in the store with Jason and his team what other uh, equipment that might be more suitable to your to your vision and your needs and, and your budget, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, get in touch with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. Also, thank you to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast, food-based supplement company. So the supplements digested as food would be, that is the hypothesis. And Cytoplan's a company not far from me in the west of England in the kind of approaching the great hills of Malvern in a village called Hanley Swan, actually awaiting um, a new delivery from from Cytoplan. We do pay for our supplements. We do it at a discount. My father's worked as a consultant there for 20 plus years, Dr. Mark Draper, who's a general practitioner in the Cotswolds, but also a nutritionist, specifically micronutrition, his area. And the soil samples are a big preserve of his. And, and he believes that we need to supplement to fill the gap, to bridge the gap in terms of what we're eating and what we what we need in terms of trace elements for him, particularly like selenium and zinc, and obviously the, the vitamins as well. And one that we take at the moment is Immune Complete, Immune Complete 2 for men, Immune Complete for women. And there's Immunovite for kids. It's kind of holistic multivitamin or vitamin, you may call it. But obviously, there's a raft of bespoke and specific supplements available there. And if you'd like to check them out, the discount associated with the podcast, the code at cytoplan.co.uk. So C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And the discount code when you come to check out is Draper10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one zero and the capital letter R. And also a new project my wife and I have been working on in lockdown, Attic Box Audio, which was spawned because we were sitting around during lockdown talking about how we'd love to hear from our grandparents, particularly for, for my wife, her grandmother Elsie, Elsie Ricketts, and for me, my granddad Ron, who passed away when I was 14, just to hear their voice, their wisdom, their stories again that go get a bit faded in time about their life stories from a very different era, born in the 1920s. And we thought about preserving those voices, how it would have been good to have sat down and recorded it. And Attic Box Audio is just that. It's basically me as a national broadcaster for a couple of years, sitting down and just speaking to people from all walks of life, whatever it may be, their story is important to their family members and just sitting for a couple of hours and then producing from that audio that will go on for perpetuity for generations, but also a lovely book that's transcribed and illustrated and coloured with photographs of of the person's life in, in question. So if you're interested in checking that out, go to drapermedia.co.uk, our website, and at drapermedia.co.uk, click on the Attic Box audio tab, and there's a connection there to get in touch and a little bit more about the project. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. This is a fantastic one, a great book recently by Caroline Williams called Move. She is a science writer. I've seen her stuff in The New Scientist. She contributes to magazines, international magazines as well, and lots of other publications, but a fine author too with her book, The New Science of Body, 
overmined and really good to catch up with Caroline. The, the sort of uh, basic tenant here being that we need to move to be healthy, to be intelligent, to be emotionally well. That's a big issue as well, isn't it? The feelings and the, the mental health and the sort of turmoil that a lot of people are, are suffering is uh, coming to bear more and more, more public conversations. But how do we maybe get to a healthier state and movement could be at the core of it. And it's great to catch up with Caroline as well. She's already been out, I think, on the beach. She said walking her dog. So she's certainly uh, living up to that moving theory and mantra. Here she is, the one and only Caroline Williams. Caroline Williams, welcome to my humble podcast, Sport and Life. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you still got you still got a good bit of colour. You were away recently, weren't you on holiday? Is that right? I saw you. I was. Yeah, it's probably uh, it was probably Windburn. To be fair, um, we were down in Cornwall, <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't the week that everyone went when it was beautiful. It was the week after that when storm, whatever it was, came through. And um, yeah, but we still managed to get out on the paddle boards and you know have a bit of fun, do some zip wiring. You know, it's good. It's paddleboarding. It's good, isn't it? I've done it on the river. I've done it on the Thames and the River Seven, but I've never done it in the sea. But I imagine it's a little bit more challenging on the sea. It is. So we mostly we sort of go on the canal near where I live, and it's super easy. You know, I always say to people, it's really hard to fall off. You have to try quite hard <laughs> and muck about to fall off. But on the sea, it's totally different. And I was completely, you know, like people always say it works your core, but really does when you're fighting against the tide or whatever. So yeah. it was quite hard work. Yeah, and actually just pumping the thing up is kind of a workout in itself. Yeah, but, is um, it? I know, I know some people cheat, don't they? They get the uh, the automatic kind of pump, but I think it, yeah, it's good. Yeah, we've got one of those too, but it takes four days to inflate, so um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually easier to take the pain. Yeah, one of those things where technology doesn't quite uh, catch up. Um, but we'll talk about the core as well, because I know it's part of the the book Move, which I absolutely loved as a sports science student and, and now sports reporter. I think I've always been obsessed with with moving, both sort of bespoke exercise, but just just that concept of not not sitting still for too long. Uh, before we sort of talk about the book, what, what's, what's your background? Because I know that you're into downhill cycling, according to the the inside sleeve of the, the book. And Well, yes. I mean, I wouldn't say I've got any skills in that area, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that was to do with um, a part of the book where we talk about balance and how there's something about your inner ear that makes it really fun to go, wee. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Down hills is how I get my uh, fix or going down zip wires, that kind of thing. Um, so my background. So originally when I went to university, um, I went to study to be a PE teacher. OK. Um, and I think if you'd asked any of my PE teachers at school, they'd have been like, sorry, what? Caroline <laughs> Williams. Really? Because I wasn't a sporty girl. I wasn't no. in any of the teams or anything. I used to play squash. I did ballet, gymnastics. So I was always on the go but I wasn't really that sporty. But my reasoning at the time was, I can't bear the idea of having to sit still all day yeah. in an office. Yeah. Um, and I like to be outside, moving around. Um, and I thought, well, I can do, I was into science. So I thought, well, I can do biology as my second subject. So yeah, I'll do that. And it was a good, nice. you know, it was kind of rational, but um, I really, um, when I got going on it, it became clear that pretty much everyone else who was there on my course, some of whom are still my really good friends, were really into team sports. And, you know, the school curriculum is still quite team sports oriented. Mm -hmm. and, and it didn't really gel with me, whereas the science did. And I started thinking, well, perhaps I'll do a biology degree. And then if I'm still interested in teaching, I'll go back to it afterwards. And I'll just do my sport and moving around is in my spare time. So that's yeah. what I did. So, um, so that, but I kind of feel like now I've come full circle because I got into the, the science and then I really loved 
writing essays. I was one of those weird people who just gets really into researching stuff yeah. and writing about it. And then, so I sort of got into science writing that way. And then, you know, years go by <laughs> and suddenly I find myself going, hmm, uh, having spent years sort of writing and researching about the mind, guess what? I feel best when my body is on the move. So what's all that about? Are there some connections between body movements and the way you think and feel? And yeah, luckily for me, there were lots. So that's yeah. how I sort of came to the book. So I kind of feel like I've come in a really long <laughs> 20-odd year circle back to where I started. It's almost intellectualising what you sort of knew intuitively, isn't it? It's kind of you work you work it out. Yeah, exactly. It kind of feels like, you know, it sounds like it was a plan, but it sort of really wasn't. It's kind of wibbling through life and it suddenly it all kind of makes sense a little bit. It's, fu <laughs> it's funny because you're really self-deprecating there about gymnastics and ballet, which are actually extraordinarily difficult things that you did as a child but weren't celebrated or practised at school. I guess that's a numbers thing that team sports are just easy to whack a load of kids out on the pitch but it's interesting that we don't do things like that at school isn't it because I had to do a dance class at Loughborough I did English literature and sports science in one of our first in our first year and I remember being completely you know two left feet and I think that's probably genetic partly as well but it's interesting my daughter has really flourished in ballet and she absolutely loves that she's six and I wonder if maybe we should do more things you know along those lines that develop us more as more rounded humans at, at school. Yeah, I mean, dance is a tricky one at school because everyone finds it just so embarrassing. I mean, maybe when you're sort of, you know, five, six, you can, you, you happily, you know, run around and pretend to be a queen <laughs> of fairy and stuff. But, you know, secondary school, I remember doing some dance in, or maybe that was in drama, actually, you know, interpretive mm. dance. And it's just so awful. But yeah, I think there's, there's definitely scope for doing stuff other than team sports in schools, um, because it's quite possible at the moment to go through school and not realise that you like being active because you know you don't like PE yeah and you know there's so much more to physical activity than you know just sport um and yeah there's dance but the, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you know if you've got a lot of kids doing parkour and stuff like that in the mm. they would absolutely love it um circus skills you know <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be yeah, it doesn't have to be too organised. But yeah, you're right. There definitely is a challenge. If you've got a class of 30 kids, what are you going to do with them? Put them into groups of four and get them to kick a ball around. I guess that, that makes a lot of sense. But um, yeah, I think there's there's got to be something we can do to get kids moving in other ways, I think. Yeah, when I drop my daughter off at ballet, I always, or, or ballet, I always reflect that, you know, there's no boys there. And if you were going to be a ballet dancer, actually a stronger chance of making it as a boy, perhaps, than there is as a, a girl. And actually, it's a great, a great workout if you're lifting ballerinas up and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. I've got your um, I've got your book here, Move. And as I say, it was, it was a fantastic kind of elucidation of a lot of things. I think a lot of us have known sort of intuitively or felt that moving was key to our health. And I suppose the, there's lots of, of nuance to it. But the key component overall for me was just the concept of it wasn't about specific types of exercise. There's no sort of commercial angle to Peloton or hit intensity, whatever it is. It's not a silver bullet, but you're just saying, actually, it's not sitting still. That was an, an interesting, wasn't it? It's, it's almost quite a provocative concept in the modern life, the way that we've designed modern life. Yeah, so we've sort of, yeah, we're unique in the animal world that we can actually survive and, you know, feed ourselves and and communicate and, um, you know, even find partners if we want to while sitting still, like no other <laughs> animal can do that. Um, I mean, in the last couple of years we've had, I mean, thank goodness, because otherwise we'd have gone completely mad. But hmm. on the flip side of that, it's really not what our bodies and minds sort of evolved to do. Um, and yeah, there's all kinds of interesting links between our sedentary lifestyles and um, the sort of the health of our brains and our minds that aren't to do with the amount of exercise you do. So in, they're sort of looking at long-term sort of 
brain health, the link between um, being sedentary and brain health is there regardless of how much exercise you happen to do. Yeah. So it's, it's not a question of trying to squeeze in more hit or go for two runs rather than one. It's more a case of, you know, building movement into your day uh, as a part of it and just not you know getting out of the habit of sitting for eight hours um and I realize I'm a bit of a fraud because I've sat, sat for you know a year <laughs> writing about you should move more well, everyone I, should get up and move how, but, how do you um, handle that tension because that's once you know this stuff it can be difficult can't it if you know that it's not good yeah. to sit down when you are tethered to a desk at work and you, you feel that same. I know people have standing desks and there's some conjecture about whether they're effective whether people can be productive in on standing desks but it is difficult when you yeah. it's a bit like sleep I do shift work and as soon as you know about the benefits of sleep you're like oh man this is tough going to bed at 2 a.m oh, no, I'm yeah. myself very yeah. slowly yeah. I know yeah. it's well, one thing is um is sleep behind me um that's, oh, that's Django my dog beautiful. um he is he, he um well he's very he's just tired himself out we went to the beach and jumped in the sea last night after work um and he managed to twist his ankle so he's completely exhausted but normally <laughs> he's a breed that he's he's a part new zealand sheepdog and he's bred to run up and down hills barking madly yeah. for 14 hours at a time yeah so he sort of does encourage me to get up you know i get about two hour break and then he's like come on let's do it so it's kind of quite good to have that but also I'm, I'm a sort of I'm a natural fidget so you know I'm sitting um here with my legs crossed and yeah, I'm usually, yeah. you know when I get bored of that I might go downstairs and sit on the floor and so I think you know it's, it doesn't sound like particularly revolutionary but one of the things I've done since researching this book is I spend a lot more time sitting on the floor because mm. when you hear about the people around the world who like in the blue zones they're called that people live much longer than, than other people. They have much healthier lifestyles in general. And one of the things about them is that they don't exercise, but no. they do move around a lot. Just, yeah. you know, they forage for seaweed or they, you know, they walk around, they garden, they do whatever. And a lot of them spend a lot of time sitting on the floor. And that gives you just the workout of standing up and, you know, but sometimes yeah. you're going to have to get up. So, which works your leg muscles, works on the balance. And so, yeah just sort of fidgeting around finding other ways to sit that aren't sort of slumping in the chair um is, is sort of how I've done it and try to take regular breaks and also trying to convince myself and I work I'm a freelancer so I work for myself I don't have a boss looking over my shoulder yeah but still having to convince myself that going for a walk is work and that it counts as you know mental work and it's actually the best way to get thinking about stuff and to get creative is to sort of down tools and leave your desk so I think there's a bit of a, a mind shift that needs to happen as well that we think sitting still is the way to work and it sort of really isn't. It's interesting that feeling that you've had I guess you call it proprioception or, or something about not wanting to sit still throughout because I've always felt a lot like that and actually my father-in-law always commented that I couldn't sit still for more than two minutes at a time and I, my daughter's inherited that that for me actually she's she sort of gravitates to my mum a lot in terms of lots of other things but she's certainly got that that high energy and I, I, you sort of think almost embarrassed about that before but actually you realize there is something in, internally trying to keep you keep you alive isn't there and keep keep yeah. you moving and in, in, yeah. in, 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 the, in the book it's brilliant because you say that movement and the human brain are inextricably linked in a way that we can't afford to sit still for for either our brain cells or or our body so it's, it's amazing that revelation was that was that something that you were aware of before you started digging deep into it um, I'd heard about, so it's David Reichland's work. Um, he was at Berkeley, but I think he's moved to Arizona now, or maybe I've got that the other wrong way around. Anyway, um, he he is an evolutionary anthropologist and he's interested, he was interested in 
why it is. So we've known for a long time that when we are active, when we exercise, the brain invests in capacity. So we get mm. more brain cells, we get more blood vessels, you know, get more connections. Um, so moving and health of the brain are, you know, it's use it or lose it, just like it is with your muscles. But what Reichlin did was really interesting. He looked at it in the evolutionary point of view and said, well, this makes sense if you think what our bodies and brains evolved for, which is to be, he calls it cognitively engaged endurance athletes. <laughs> Basically, hunting and gathering is, is not for dummies. You know, you can't just wander around and think, oh, I hope an antelope falls in my <laughs> path and dies and asks to be eaten. You know, you yeah. have to think about it. You have to plan. You have to think like an animal. You have to work as a team. You know, you have to remember the way home. And so he says at this point in our evolution, sort of tied together moving you know a certain amount of that physical activity and um our brain health and structure and, and everything else um and he said you know basically we're stuck with that so it's not it's not optional if you want your brain to be working well just as it's not optional if you want a fully functioning body to to sit around because mm. it, we were set up that way and we're stuck with it whether we like it or not so um yeah i think that's a really interesting idea uh, that we're just sort of not made to sit around which which is a literally is a no-brainer and and interestingly other someone who worked with David Reichlin a guy called Herman Ponzer who's really interesting he does he's worked for years with this hunter-gatherer group in Tanzania called the Hadza mm. and he says that he's got hundreds of hours of like data from accelerometers on these people and he says they pretty much never run um and you know they just they're active all the time and yeah. when they sit they squat or they they sit on the floor they they just don't loll around um and they're active all the time and they're pretty healthy and um happier than most scientists that study them is, is one one is researcher it, <laughs> it's interesting actually that um i listened to a completely different topic but david gandhi the supermodel the male model was saying that he's never done cv exercise per se he's just done weights and and, and resistance stuff and then just kept mobile throughout the day he's got a dog as well and and does sort yeah. of four or five miles walking a day he says so it's interesting how people have incorporated that idea is why why has it been so seductive for us given the sort of the vitality of or the importance of of moving why has it been so seductive the modern life of of being still because i guess we had that urge to rest didn't we because we had to preserve ourselves so that and that's been almost yeah. hijacked by the the consumer world i suppose yeah i mean basically modern life is sort of working to our worst desires really because we do yes i mean if we were wild animals who did have to run around then you do have to rest and i think some of the um some of the research with the hadza shows that they they do rest about the same amount we do they spend sort of not sitting slobbing but they do sort of rest and sit around the fire and you know they walk mm. for a bit and they track and then they stop and then they have a chat but i think combined with our lifestyles that we don't have to do the movement bit in between the slobbing you know we need to conserve energy because if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, then you don't want to burn calories unnecessarily. But we do know where our next meal is coming from, and it's probably <laughs> in that cupboard over there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, modern life just works against everything that we were designed for, unfortunately. And we see it around us, and we feel it in our own in our own bellies and, and whatever else. If, we, if we're not moving, we put on weight. But what was interesting in the book that I've haven't really seen elucidated before so keenly is the iq aspect of this that actually we've got this kind of cultural arrogance that we're better and and more capable than, the, than our predecessors but actually you're saying there that we're getting progressively less intelligent which is pretty scary what, what did you make of that yeah well, well there's sort of there's there's sort of evidence in people from the middle age onwards 
that you know there's this inevitable cognitive decline um mm. which is kind of depressing but people decline quicker if they're sedentary and there's quite a stark link between um dementia and sedentary lifestyles it accounts for something like 13 percent of cases it's quite terrifying um wow. so we know that over a course of a lifespan being sedentary is really bad for your cognitive function but there's sort of population level studies i mean obviously there's a lot going on on a population level but for many many years for decades our, our iqs were steadily increasing around yeah. the world it's called the flynn effect after the guy who you noticed it <laughs> um but then around sort of 2000s that started leveling off and and sort of going in the other direction and you know there's lots of discussion about why that might be but maybe there's something to do with our sedentary lifestyles that's chipping away uh, at our cognitive function, being that there is this strong link between being sedentary and, and the health of our brains and, and also ability to think in yeah. new interesting ways. So yeah, maybe we are sloughing ourselves into the, the skids a little bit. It's powerful. It's powerful for kids though, isn't it? We talked about PE at the start that actually sometimes it seems that almost the education system views PE as a sort of indulgence or something away from the serious part of learning but actually what we're saying there that kids need to move to it to encourage their brain development it's not just it's not a kind of uh, wasted time it's actually an enhancing time absolutely yeah and so um there's some really great initiatives um rolled out and i, I spoke at a, a festival recently and a little girl put her hand up and said i do this at school there's a thing <laughs> called the daily mile you, you've probably come across it so it's a, a started by um a head teacher in in scotland who noticed that the kids um well she was concerned about obesity and levels of activity and so she got kids um well she got teachers to at some point in the day say okay everyone pencils down we're going to go and run around outside um for 15 minutes yeah. And there's been there's loads of schools doing this now and they've done studies of it. And these kids have improved their focus has improved, their grades have improved, their behavior has improved. They love it that, you know, they're fitter, um, they're healthier. And, you know, it's it's kind of so easy. Yeah. And yet it shocked me when I looked into how much PE time in, in the UK, there isn't like a legal amount. It's like there's a recommendation for two hours a week yeah and it's up to the school to kind of squeeze that in and you know by the time the kids have got changed and got into their groups and they got started I mean it's almost nothing and it, yeah. it kind of scares me a little bit and there's other places like in Finland they have a break every 45 minutes after a lesson and encourage the kids to be active in that break and they have like some of the best educational scores in the world so yeah we're missing the trick if we think what we need is more children sitting down learning yeah, we don't. I think we need we mean kids running around climbing trees. Um, and sorry, my phone is going. Uh, That's OK. No worries. <laughs> um, yeah, we <laughs> kids running around doing what kids should do and they will respond. And I think we're missing um, a massive trick there. Yeah, it's been a big thing about selling playing fields, isn't there? Particularly secondary schools, which I think has a, a really corrosive effect. Is there any nuance in the literature between difference between men and women in terms of or boys and girls, what the type of exercise they should do? I don't know whether it's sort of, I suppose, the hunter-gatherer sense where men would be hunting and women would be gathering was the, the sort of stereotype. Is there any sense that, that men need more sort of combative sport at all? Or, or is that just uh, I don't know. the research? I yeah, I didn't look into that so much. So, I mean, maybe it is there, but I, I would be surprised, I think. Mm. Um, so a lot of what we know about, you know, this idea of male and female brains is sort of being largely debunked in that there's more individual difference than there is yeah. difference between the genders. So I wouldn't think so. I think maybe 
if anything, you know, there, there's interesting stuff about about confidence and self-esteem and feeling capable in your own body that um, may be more important for women mm. um, in that, you know, a lot of women don't do strength work. And there's a really interesting link between self-esteem and physical strength, yeah. um, which I think is, you know, something that would be really helpful. You know, we've got we've got this gender gap at work, and mm. you know, we've got all this you know, the Me Too stuff going on. There's an awful lot that I think maybe we need to teach girls that physical strength is good for them, mind, body, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, but past that, I'm I'm not really sure that um, that there's any difference really. That's a, that's a really interesting thing about the, the female confidence like that you say because I remember a friend of mine, a boy, going to when we were year ten, went to the army for a week, and he said he never felt more confident when he came back because he'd done press ups all week and he just felt in great physical condition and could lift his own body up, was doing pull ups and things like that. And actually, you realise that that is a key part of it, isn't it? Because if you if you feel always proud or just capable in yourself, that does give you a sense of confidence. Yeah, so there's really interesting stuff. I mean, like I sort of I delve briefly into sort of consciousness in the book as well, saying, you know, that there's this idea that part of your sense of self comes, you're not from your brain, but from the messages coming from your body and what it's telling you about what your body can achieve in the world. And so it's like mm. an undercurrent. So this um, neuroscientist and philosopher, Antonio Damasio calls them background feelings. And I kind of think of it like a, you know, the background music in a film that you've got this sense either of you know, being at ease in yourself or of being slightly nervous. And if your bodily tissues are saying, you know, I can handle myself, it's fine. Mm. You know, I can run away. I can, you know, jump in the water and swim if I have to. Then that gives you that sort of inner sense that, you know, I'm all right. I can, I can, I can live and I don't need to worry about anything. So I think it's really interesting because um, weight training has been shown pretty strongly to not only increase self-esteem, um, but also this measure psychologists use called global self-efficacy, which is the mm. sense of what you can achieve in the world, but also to, to really improve symptoms of anxiety and depression. So it kind of just makes you feel a bit more in control of your life so I think that's something that's really important to to share with people because you, you may not think that everyone knows oh exercise is good for depression and anxiety but telling someone who's depressed to go for a run isn't necessarily helpful um but maybe strength training at home may be more accessible to some people yeah and do you feel on the on the mental health we talk about the mental health crisis now and some people say that it's just that it was imperceptible before that people didn't speak of it in previous generations do you feel that that's perhaps not true and that perhaps it is on the rise mental ill health because of allied to the sedentary lifestyle well I think it was probably always there and it's definitely mm. true that you know, it wasn't spoken about quite so much but our sedentary lifestyles definitely don't help um, and I do worry about young people especially um, you know they're talking about being lonely and not connected to to each other even though they're constantly connected to each other online um, and you know they're sitting around sedentary not getting out there connecting and moving and so yeah I think that's I definitely think it's a factor in in our mental health that because that there's an unequivocal link between physical activity and mental health and and we're not moving enough so yeah I mean yeah. I, I, I didn't see a, like a, a nice rubber stamp paper that said a, B, <laughs> connected but it seems like a a pretty clear link to me um that you know and the worst that can happen is if everyone's more active 
and feels better you know <laughs> yeah I know you, you have a you have a moment of sadness actually when I see my my daughter and my nephews and my nieces and just think at five or six they're just tearing around constantly you think to think we're sort of centered into an education system of 12 years sitting down and then potentially a job you think it's uh it, it, it's sad in that sense isn't it you think actually if you if you read it it almost looks like a punishment if you said to someone you're going to sit in front of a screen for for eight nine hours a day and not move it's yeah it sounds a pretty brutal sentence yeah, I remember my son when he he had a, a sick day and I wasn't entirely sure that he was um, telling the truth. So I made it as boring as possible. And I said, well, this is what I do um, when you're at school. And I sat in front of my computer and I typed away. And at the at the end of the day, every time you said, mum, we come and play, I was like, nope, working. Like, you know, just left <laughs> and um, by the end of the day, he said to me, mum, if that's what you do all day, I feel really sorry for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're so right, because school is much more running around with your mates is, is much more fun. So yeah, I mean, if we can make a find a way to make working lives more active and get away from this sitting at a desk, I'm hoping that you know maybe everyone having been at home through COVID, mm. I don't know. It, there seems to be a split. Some people do more. Like so, my husband usually commutes sort of an hour and a half to London. We live out in Surrey, yeah. um, and and through lockdown, he was loving it. He was like going out for an early morning bike ride and going running, going swimming, you know, doing all this kind of stuff and got fitter than ever. But a lot of people I know didn't did the opposite mm. without the commute and without moving around the office so I don't know maybe things will change well, do, you, yeah, do you think on the health front generally there's been an awakening it's difficult the messages we got I know that Boris tried at one point to encourage people yeah. to be active and, and lose weight and then seemed to get pilloried for it and it wasn't but do you think through your book and I suppose through a lot of, of literature that's coming out we can be more proactive about our health it's not just a reactive system and that would you know we mm. talk about benefiting the NHS there's a real sense that that would massively benefit the NHS if we were in better nick most of the time. Do you, do you feel that will come out of the, the pandemic? It's, it's difficult at the moment to, to get the sort of through the weeds, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it, it's really tricky because it kind of felt like, you know, when I was writing it at the end of, well, I, my, my deadline was like the April um, 2020. And so I was there sort of in the in this early days of the pandemic, you know, frantically finishing it. And I thought, oh, I've missed the boat here because what, when people need this is now and it takes mm. a year to publish, but it's gone on so long. I kind of feel like, you know, when, especially in the early days of lockdown, it was very, very stark when you were only allowed out once a day to exercise and that was your lot. It was quite obvious to me and my family at least that how you feel after sitting around for hours versus how you feel after you've been for a walk or a bike ride is totally different. Yeah. So it's kind of like a quite a nice little microcosm of what you can do just by getting out and moving. Um, and so given that loads of people were, were out walking in the countryside around where I live, it kind of felt like people were realizing that for themselves. How long that will last, I don't yeah. know. Um, but it did feel, feel like there was a moment where everyone was like, oh my God, being cooped up and sitting around is awful. I, yeah. I need to get up and get some fresh air and exercise. <laughs> um, and the whole Joe Wicks thing, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, people loved that. Lots of people took up exercise after doing that with their kids and realized how good it made them feel. So it, I don't know, it feels like something may be changing, but it's difficult to know whether that just is in your little bubble of yeah. people uh who like being active. And often you don't know until you know, do you? So if people are, do start moving, they suddenly get a benefit from it. They don't realise how bad they may have felt physically and, and mentally before they've started that. It's interesting you mentioned your yeah. son with his mates and you mentioned with, with the family there. Do you feel exercise in unison with other people is, is that important? I know we talked about dance as well, but historically our humans, that's in the, in the sort of evolution terms, a blink of an eye ago, we were always in a decent sized group, weren't we, when we were moving around? 
Yes, and um, yeah, so dance is a really interesting thing. I could have written a whole book about it and people have written a whole books about it. Um, but one of the things that really struck me was about the sort of moving in synchrony with other people and whether that's dance or whether it's, I don't know, Tai Chi or aerobics or, you know, yoga, it doesn't really matter what it is. If you're moving in time with other people, there's some really interesting things that happen to your mind. So um, before I was talking about, you know, how you know your sense of where your body is in space. Yeah. Um, so you know that sort of just from these internal messages. You also can see your own movements um, as you're moving around. And there's this weird thing that happens if you're moving your body and someone else is moving their body at the same rate as you, there's sort of part of that information about where you start and end gets blurred with where they start and end mm. because it sort of synchronizes together. And one idea is that that helps us to feel connected to each other. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really lovely idea that when you're moving with people and dancing <laughs> with people, and it explains why humans have been cultures all over the world forever and ever have been dancing to a beat um, together. It bonds people. And, and that's what we really need. And I think we realized that over the last couple of years as well. But yeah, them, them and us cultures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. awful. And, you know, especially for young people wanting to get out and dance. There haven't been many opportunities. But um, the really interesting thing is, you know, I'm a big fan of the, old, the kitchen dance, you know, being, being at home <laughs> all the time, you clean the kitchen, kitchen up about 50 times a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're dancing to music made by another human, they make it at the rate of, you know, their, how mm. their bodies move as well. And when you're moving to the sounds that another human's made, that sort of has a similar effect. So it feels like you're moving with them, even though you can't see them and even though you, you, you're not physically with them. So there's this really nice thing about, you know, dancing to music can make you feel part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, just, just through the, um, the medium of movement. Yeah, and that's kind of a nice thing because especially like me, you don't like dancing when people can actually see you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people enjoy watching me dance. That's for that's for sure. But that connectivity, I think, is important for humanity as well because sometimes we have that tribalism which can get in the way. And I think that's anything that brings us together and, and helps us bond with other people who are maybe different to us as well. Is a is a good thing. The A to B thing is interesting. You talk about the the sense of progression. We, we need to feel like we're progressing in life and actually moving our body from one place to another is important, isn't it? As much as there's been an explosion, understandably, in in home based exercise. With I listened yeah. to a podcast with. I think John Foley is his name, the, the man behind Peloton. And he was talking about he, it's not just a fad for lockdown. It's going to continue because people like it. But there's something about getting outdoors and moving from one place to another. What were the, the key findings there? Yeah, so that was a really interesting one because it's one that I definitely feel, you know, if I go out for a long walk with the dog and, mm. you know, whether I'm stuck on a piece of work or, you know, angry about something or upset, you know, takes a while to get into the groove but somehow when you've been for a long walk and you've been somewhere it just feels like you've made progress and then so um I also met a, an ultra marathon runner who struggled with depression and, and addiction through his whole sort of adult life um and one of the things that he said is that you know when you're depressed you're here um moving forward gives you the sense that you can move forward yeah and that you can get somewhere in life as well as you know physically um and there is some psychology to back that up so there's experiments that suggest that um you know the way we perceive time is that the future is in front of us and mm. the past is behind us and so as we move physically forward through space it makes it feel as if the past is further behind us and the, the future is closer to us and so you know there is this sense of 
moving yeah. towards the future and there's this hopeful feeling and so it doesn't matter whether you're walking or running or paddleboarding kayaking cycling doesn't matter um but there's something about moving forward that that takes you from a state of you know being stuck in your head and actually takes you forward um into something a bit more hopeful where you can get somewhere and how you move is important isn't it because you talked about body posture in there quite a lot about standing up <laughs> and, and, and getting your head up as well I just want to point can... out that the snoring is coming from my dog <laughs> you've exhausted him okay. he's uh, okay. you've worn him out it's a podcast oh. Oh, sound that's, like horrible noises. Sorry. that's fine no that's that's impressive to, to wear a, wear a collie out because we had a border collie when i was a kid actually so they are they are relentless generally yeah. um but yeah you, you're talking about people think obviously people when they're depressed walk walk and move in a certain way of you know hunched over is the, is the cliche but actually by changing yeah. the the body posture you can change the mood it's a sort of um a circular arrangement yeah so the thing about um posture and that's something that's been sort of um carried on through you know our evolution as well you know if you see a chimpanzee that's been beaten in a fight it'll sort of sit hunched under a tree and that's sort of you know that's the sense from itself of oh defeat but it also broadcasts to other people i i i give up uh, yeah. or i yeah. need help um and so that's you know it's just part of us but the good thing about being human is that you can um you can sort of rationalize that and hack into it in that if you notice yourself in that posture and and straighten up that broadcast to other people that you feel in control and also to yourself. Um, and, you know, there's been some controversy in, in this kind of research. I don't know if you came across Amy Cuddy's TED talk, the, the power pose. No. Oh, um, yeah. So, that's, um, so she, she did research into, uh, she got people to either stand sort of in expansive postures or to sit contracted postures um, for two minutes. And then they, they looked at their, how powerful they felt, how confident they felt, mm. how they did in a job interview situation. And also they took blood samples and, and they reported that not only did people feel more powerful when they'd been standing upright, but they had, but they had higher levels of testosterone and lower cortisol. Okay. Um, so testosterone being feeling powerful, cortisol being stress hormone. Um, and she did a TED talk about this and, and it went viral and she got huge, um, but then people started trying to repeat the experiments and they couldn't repeat the hormone part of it. They could repeat uh, okay. the posture bits. Yeah. But that sort of got lost in the mix and the whole area of research became like, oh, well, that's pseudoscience, isn't it? But mm. there's been a lot of, lot of psychology since that shows that being upright makes you feel less stressed. Um, you recover from a stressful event faster um, and, you know, being slouched is linked to sort of low mood and rumination and, and generally thinking more negative thoughts. Um, so there's definitely that. And there was some interesting research. I don't know how deep you want to go into this sort of the neuroscience. No, but I met yeah. a, um, a scientist who uh, traced the neural pathways between the adrenal glands, which are on the kidneys and the sort of the part, you know, the first emergency um, mm. stress response and traced them back to the brain and the pathways ended up in the motor cortex, which sort of sits sort of over the top of the head, like an Alice band, yeah. and that is in charge of movements. So, but not just anywhere, it turned up in the part of the motor cortex that controls the core. And so wow. there's something really important. Um, as he said to me, there's something about movement, absolutely without question. And there's something special about the core. Yeah. And given what we know about this, you know, standing up. Try, yeah, we're, we're both trying to sit up now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very important. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, given the psychology that we've had for years, saying that that makes you feel good, and what everyone knows is that that makes you feel good. Maybe there's, you know, a real sort of 
yeah. physiological it's, it's, it's a good workout when you're not used to sitting up properly as well, isn't it? Because we are accustomed to slouching on even office chairs or certainly in the, on the couch in, in the evening. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that sitting is supposedly the new smoking, but they're sitting and they're sitting, they're sitting upright and they're slouching. They're sitting on a medicine ball or, or there's, you know, crouching on the floor. And, you know, so you can sit upright, which is better than not yeah. sitting upright. I wonder so, when I wonder when nutrition plays into into movement as well because my dad's a GP and he's advised a nutrition company for years, a supplement company about micronutrition. He's fascinated with soil samples, I suppose someone has to be, but about the depletion <laughs> in our soil of, of minerals. But what's interesting, the more you read about sedentary lifestyle and how it intersects, one of the aspects is w- because we perceive ourselves as gluttonous, we think we're eating more than than previous generations. We're actually eating less, and we're actually consuming less quality food, and, and maybe the minerals aren't coming in. And if you move more, you can eat more, can't you? Which probably gets you gets you more vitamins and minerals as well so it's an interesting thing that how how it can be holistically better for us I think yeah I think if you're moving more I don't know maybe maybe it's just me but I don't know how how much it applies to other people is that when I'm more active I want healthier food I'm like Mm. I think I'll have a piece of salmon with some salad now for my lunch you know whereas if I'm just sitting around lazy then I probably will have four biscuits with a cup of tea and slouch on the sofa so I don't know for me at least it's connected Hey, it's been great to speak to. I know you've got a meeting coming up. Just any other health tips that you, whether it's related to movement or anything else that you've come across in in writing for the the new scientist and other people? Hmm. Um, Now, let me see. (laughs) Randomly looking at my... um, Health tips. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think... I think... Doing something that you love doing is important. I think we get yeah. the message about activity and exercise that it's sort of something that you have to do whether you want to do it or not. And mm. I think everyone's got a thing that, that they want to do. Um, and so I really wanna, one thing I want to do with this sort of findings, you know, with the book is to, to get it to people that you don't need to hate it. And it's not, mm. you don't need to, to do it to take something away from yourself it's not about getting slimmer thighs or losing weight although that will probably happen it's about adding something to your life your mental life your physical life and just feeling better and living better so um yeah find your thing would be my, <laughs> my advice and do and, it and we can get the book pretty much available at most places isn't it move yep move the new science of body over mind it's available everywhere tell all your friends yeah <laughs> and, and how and people can follow you you're on social media to... yes um so on instagram i'm what am i <laughs> caroline, caroline williams, williams. Uh, yeah. caroline williams underscore science and on twitter i'm at science caroline so um and i've got a website carolinewilliams.net but i'm less good at updating that so what uh, it's the great to have you on and more reliable <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah and i've seen some of your clips from your articles it's really interesting on there as well but it's it's fantastic work you're doing i think it's really important work as well because often when you studied when i studied exercise at university you realize a lot of that doesn't get out into the public eye but your role now as a sort of science writer you're really bringing it to people and that that must be gratifying as well it is really good and especially because there's so much really interesting new stuff um you know now that we have these accelerometers that we can track activity there's all this interesting stuff coming through like that actually the the difference between doing nothing and doing something is huge for health so we've got this idea that you know either you go and run 
three times a week or don't bother because you're going to die you know it's not <laughs> that at all just you know adding a bit more movement into your life walking up and down the stairs a few times walking to the bus stop you know it doesn't have to be very much and it can have a, a big impact on your health so um I think I'm trying to get that uh, out there for people who aren't natural exercises or aren't natural sporty people um that yeah it's it's a lot easier and more accessible and can be more fun than you think it is yeah you don't have to drag yourself to the gym and, and all that sort of exhibitionism that some people encounter there they don't don't enjoy that aspect no. of it so yeah unless that's your thing and yeah. that gets you doing it then great but um but yeah there's there's more to it than just that hey we sat for a long time caroline we both need to to move i guess now but thank you for yes. your time really appreciate you coming on the podcast <laughs> thank you very much for having me <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Caroline Williams. She did very well to sit still. It's interesting. She's got that kind of restlessness, which I certainly have and almost saw it as a, a negative in the past when you real, realize the sort of important connection between body and brain and, the, and this sort of entrenched symbiosis of, of movement in terms of formulating our brain and developing our brain initially and how the two are interconnected. Now we need to keep firing up and emotions as well, how they play into it and body posture, everything else is fascinating to hear from Caroline at great length there and to, to follow her on social media do do that it's worth worth doing she writes a whole range of interesting articles and she publishes sort of pictures and links to them certainly on her Instagram I've seen that so thank you to Caroline for coming on and check out that book move as well certainly recommend reading it I think I picked it up on the new scientist website but I'm sure it's everywhere else that you can uh, get good books and thank you to you for listening to the podcast thank you to the sponsors as ever Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. Big boost for me having their support over the past year or so. Specialists in the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Remember that customer service through the sister company Serene AV can basically include whatever equipment suits your vision, your budget, your needs, your house, and they'll come out and do a sort of a recce and, and see what, what is required. So make sure you uh, get in touch with them. If you're looking for any home entertainment systems, Jason Briggs and his team at Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham, check out the website. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity, maybe bridge the gap between your food intake and just round off a hopefully a good base of, of sleep and exercise and nutrition, then uh, Cytoplan's food-based supplements, which we've been taking as a family, the Drapers, for 20 plus years, you can get a 30% discount, I think initially 10% thereafter with the code at cytoplan.co.uk, Draper10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And if you are interested in the, the idea, the fledgling concept that my wife is, is working on of Attic Box Audio, where I interview people generally typically in the in the later stages of life about their life story for posterity, for the perpetuity, for their kids to and grandchildren to listen to something that we have started doing in our own life and documenting and getting practice in doing that where you come into and speak for a couple of hours just about childhood all the way through recollections maybe any life tips to to pass on to the next generations but found it fascinating speaking to my dad my mum and different family members across the board even my uncle in the united states so attic box audio is that project and if you'd like to just check it out go to drapermedia.co.uk click on the attic box audio tab and then get in touch if you're interested in myself as a broadcaster for a couple of years but a couple of years a couple of decades and uh, trying to make myself sound younger there but just the importance of documenting these stories and, and these memories and the childhood aspects of our grandparents in particular something we maybe aren't familiar with and haven't heard too much about or our parents so uh, yep 
check it out. Let me know if you're, you're interested in that. Let me know if you enjoy the podcast. Please rate it on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to it on. And yeah, check out that book, Move by Caroline Williams. Thank you for listening, guys. Appreciate it and have a good rest of the week. Goodbye for now.